Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. God, I just I thank you. So thank you for, for your work in our hearts, Father. And as I get up here today, if, if timing's off or things are off, Father, that I know there's grace for it and that your spirit will move in people and their hearts will be positioned to receive this and know that this is from you, not from me or anybody else, Father. And I ask that you just, just bless this church and just ask that you continue to move through this body, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, man, that helped a lot. <laughs> Good job, guys. Um, so it was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a text message from Matt Beasley about a kid. Um, I won't mention any names because I want to give him a chance to share because I know it's coming. Uh, that needed a vehicle. And me and a group of guys got a group text from Bees saying that he wanted to get some money together for him. So I told my wife about it and I was praying about it, about how much to give. And, and I couldn't really get settled on a number and then God spoke to me about uh, giving my truck to him, um, which I have a little Toyota pickup truck. It's a 92, and I love that truck. It's an awesome, awesome truck. So at first, I was a little bit like, ah, maybe not. But, you know, and so I asked Roy and Carl and Matt to pray with me, and it was funny because they all gave me the same answer. It was, you guys don't know this, but you, every, you said the same thing. Like, take time, pray about it and you'll know what to do. And it was probably about two minutes after I got off the phone with Carl, I got in the shower, and I just got down on my knees, and I was praying, and God gave me the answer right then. And I actually felt stupid to call those guys and be like, hey, I know what to do, because they all told me to take time, and I respect them, so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to kind of lay low, and I'll just keep praying on it. Um, but I knew... I knew right away. I came out. I told my wife. I said, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. Um, you know, it, it might be an adjustment for us because we'll be down to one vehicle. But uh, I have an amazing boss. I called him. And I'm like, hey, I might need to use the work van. Of course, Colin's like, yep, no problem. So without even, I mean, God provided without, I hadn't even given the truck and I had my provision. So I was so stoked. Um, uh, then, well, so there was a few things that happened. Uh, some people gave money, and there was a couple issues with the truck that I wanted to get taken care of, so we used part of the money to get the truck 100% for this kid. Um, and then we gave it to him. Well, actually, let me go back. Um, so the, the next morning I woke up. I knew what I was going to do, and actually I was at Lowe's getting a washer and dryer, and Carl called me, and he's like, hey, I had this dream. And he's like, I didn't want to tell you the dream because I didn't want to influence you because God told me to, it's your decision to make, but I want to share it with you. And he told me this dream, and should I share that, Carl? Or? I think so, because I think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, so the dream was, um, the dream was, Carl said it was me and him, we were hanging out, and he handed me an envelope. He didn't know what was in the envelope, but when he gave it to me, I was super stoked, really pumped about it. Um, And then I turned around and I gave it to someone else. And then from that, there was like a release of giving and blessing people, and it was just really awesome. And so that was actually just more confirming to me that, you know, I had made the right choice, that I was hearing from God. And so, um, yep. Yeah. Spirit of generosity was released. That's what it was. Um, and so I knew, you know, I knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, so we, we gave him the truck um, on a Saturday. I gave it to him here at the church, and I just told him, and he broke down. He was bawling. He was crying. It was super cool. And there was a bunch of dudes in here that helped with it. Um, so I went home, and I was just talking to my wife. We had just, that weekend, we just moved into a new house. Right, so I was already so stoked about that because we finally went from a little two-bedroom, one-bath 
you know, four people in one room to a three huge three bedroom, two bath, brand new house. So we were just so pumped. And I remember I walked in the house when I got home and I went in my kid's room. I just started crying because I was just overwhelmed like that. You know, that I was able that God was able to use me and that my heart was he took my heart to a place a year ago to where I wasn't like bound up by money, but it certainly was something that kind of had me to where now I was able to give this truck away. And I was just sitting there crying and just so thankful. Um, that one on my front porch, and I was talking to my buddy Brad Cole, and we were just talking, and some guy rolls up, a friend of mine rolls up, and he's also my landlord. He's like, hey, I had to give you something. So I was expecting it to be something for the house. And he rolls up, and we're talking for a while. He asked me about how it went. He's like, well, actually, I came here to give you something. Then he gave me a word that God had given for me, which was awesome. And then he pulls out a title. And I was like, what's this? And he's like, that's to your new truck. And <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Uh, it was a 2007 Toyota Tacoma. I mean, pretty much my dream vehicle. Um, <laughs> And I love Toyotas. Like, I wasn't, wasn't without a vehicle for more than two and a half hours, and God provided. And so it was just so cool. And guys, like, I was praying about what to say, and, and all this to say, like, I'm not, not saying to give your vehicle away. If that's what God tells you to do, then absolutely do it, because He's gonna provide. Like, I've, I've, He's taken me through so much, and like, I just know. He'll provide, but ultimately, I you know I feel like the message is to just seek Him, to really, really seek a relationship with Him, and to hear from Him. Um, you know, I just seeking intimacy with Him, getting alone, spending time with Him, uh, and being able to hear from Him and know that know what you hear is from Him. Um, I think is really what I just he wanted me to encourage. So I just wanted to share it, brag on God, um, and just encourage you guys uh, just to keep going after Him, just keep seeking His face, and good things will come. I, I wanted him to share that a couple weeks ago, and um, and he didn't, and I'm glad he didn't because um, we didn't get to the part of the message that that kind of ties in with uh, a few weeks ago. And last week, Max spoke, did an awesome job bringing a word last week. Um, and so I wanted to finish up with, with the message about sowing and reaping from a few weeks ago. Um, if you weren't here two weeks ago, um, I'd encourage you, you can get our messages on outreachchurch.net on the media page, or you can go on to iTunes and search Outreach Church, um, or search my name, Roy Giese, is the easy way to pull it up too, because I think there's a, a few when you pull up Outreach Church. Um, and you can find them and listen to that message because it ties in with today's. Um, they're still taking it up, yeah. Um, so we talked a few weeks ago about Jesus saying, you know, if you had faith, you would say. And he said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain. And, and we just talked about that concept that, that before he even said what they would say to the mountain and what would happen, that the words out of his mouth were, if you had faith, you would say. That in other words, the things that we believe in our heart will find their way up into our mouth. That what we believe is true here will eventually find its way here. And Jesus said that. He said, if you had faith, you would say. And we, we moved to the part about you know the, the size of the mustard seed and we talk about that. And that's cool. And we talk about the mountain moving and what those mountains could be. And that's all cool too. But there's a principle there that I think is bigger than any of that. And that's this, that Jesus said, He started out saying, if you had faith, you would say to the mountain. And, and we started talking about how like Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we actually believe is revealed in the words that we speak so often. You know, and, and, and what we actually hold in our hearts to be true will find its way into our lips. And so we started talking about just what we say and the, the idea that, that actually what we say matters. You know, in Proverbs it talks about living from the fruit of our mouth. That we actually live our lives, we live in the fruit of our mouths. And so, I want to just continue talking. We talked about sowing and reaping. You know, Jesus using the parable of the farmer. And, 
You know, he plants seed, it says, and he goes, it says he goes to bed, and day and night he goes to sleep, and then suddenly he doesn't even know how, but a crop comes up out of the ground. You know, first the sprout, then the grain head, and then the mature grain, uh, the mature grain within the head. And, and, you know, we just talked kind of about that principle, uh, about the fact that even if we don't know how it happens, it's not up to us to have everything figured out, that if we actually do what God calls us to, obedience brings about the promise of what He said. And how like it, it, the farmer goes to sleep trusting that what he did will bring fruit in our lives, even though he doesn't see it and even though he doesn't know how. And there's times in our lives where we're doing something God's called us to do, but if we were to look out at that field, it doesn't, we don't immediately see the fruit of what we've done. And, and we have to trust that if we're being obedient, we will see what he said would happen, happen. And that the worst thing we could do is start trying to dig it up and figure out what was going wrong and why it's not happening. And I remember when I was a kid, I talked about this, you know, we planted a garden one time in Florida and we planted seeds in the ground and I waited all night until my mom made me go to bed to see the sprout come up, but it never did. And I went to bed thinking the seed was broken. And I woke up in the morning thinking, surely we watered it, and now surely in the morning when I wake up, there will be something coming up out of the ground. And I got up, the first thing I did in the morning was run out to the garden in the back corner of the yard and looked out, and all I saw were those neat rows of dirt with nothing coming up out of the ground, and I was convinced the seed is broken. And I told my dad that. We had the seed's broken, it's not working. And he said, you just have to give it time sometimes, son. Well, when you're Eight, overnight is time. I had given it time. You know, the truth of the matter is, is I think that a lot of times the Father would say to us about a lot of things in our life, son, you just have to give it some time. Because I'm 37 now. And sometimes my idea of time and his idea of time are totally different. And he said, as long as the earth exists, these things will not pass away. The changing of the seasons, heat and cold, seed, time, and harvest. And it said that the farmer just trusts and, and day and night he goes to sleep. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes the best thing that we can do and the thing that proves that we trust God the most is when we actually do nothing. Rather than just doing something to be busy. I could have went out there and anything I would have done because we put fertilizer down, we watered it, we tilled the ground, we did everything that we could do on our end. There was nothing more that we could do to hurry up the process that was happening under the ground. And anything I would have done from that point forward would have harmed the seed and would have slowed the process down or stopped it completely. And sometimes in our lives, the best thing that we can do when we know we've done all that God's called us to do is to do nothing more until we see Him tell us to do the next thing. And that's a hard one for us. That was really hard for a lot of us. We want to always be doing something. And a lot of times God's saying, just trust that what you can't see happening is going to cause something that you can see if you just wait and you just be patient because the process will happen. And the, the seed starts putting out these roots and we can't see it happening. And the worst thing we could do is try to help that progress along because anything we do to the roots at that stage will damage the plant, if not kill it. It says and then the sprout comes up, right? We talked about that. Like the first thing that comes up when you plant corn in the ground is a little green sprout. It looks nothing like an ear of corn. It's not edible. It's not worth anything in that moment where it's at to you. All you can do with that corn sprout when it first comes up out of the ground is simply trust that it is turning into something that will be worth something, that will be valuable, that will have use and will have worth. And if we judged the, the effectiveness of our planting, of our sowing, by the immediate result that we see, a lot of times we would walk away discouraged and say the seed is broken. I put corn in the ground and I got this worthless little green shoot coming up. And if we walked away and never returned, we wouldn't see that in time that worthless green shoot turns into a stalk that turns into a plant that holds corn, that holds cobs, and that can be processed. And within that one plant, there's the ability to reproduce itself a hundred to a thousand times over. Don't give up and walk away when the immediate result of your sowing and your reaping, or your sowing, I'm sorry, isn't what you thought it should look like. Or isn't the end result you were after? Don't give up. Don't give up on it. Don't judge it to be bad. Don't look out at the plant and say, 
you know, you've been in the ground this long, and by now, surely you should, because we do that if we're not careful. We look at people who've been born again, or who've been going to church, or who have been, you know, following Jesus, and we look at the fruit of their lives, and sometimes if we're not careful, we're tempted to say, well, now you've been a Christian for X amount of time. Certainly by now, you should be. And if we're not careful, we'll give up on them and say, you know what? I've done everything that I can do. And obviously, they will never change. Don't ever allow yourself to get to a place where you have no hope for somebody because that seed of hopelessness will reproduce itself inside of you. And if you think it for somebody else, eventually you'll think it for yourself. Because the only way you can say there's no hope for them is if you believe there's nothing that God can do in their life. And if you believe there's nothing God can do in their life, you'll believe there's nothing God can do in your life in some point in time. Don't ever allow that seed of hopelessness to reproduce itself inside of you. You can't control it. You can't contain it. I promise you, if you believe it for somebody, eventually you'll believe it for yourself. And if you have no hope, you have nothing. So then the farmer sees the seed head come up and it says first the sprout, then the head, then the mature grain within the head. And now it looks like something. Now it actually looks like wheat. This little green shoot that first was coming up that looked nothing like wheat. Now it actually looks like wheat. But if the farmer's not careful, if he doesn't know what he's doing, and if he's only judging by what he sees, now he'll say, okay, it's time. And it says that first the mature head, or first the head, and then the grain within the mature head. In other words, there's something on the outside that happens, and this looks like wheat, but what needs to take place on the inside hasn't taken place yet. And the mature grain is not within the head yet. And if you went out and harvested, you wouldn't have what you're after, because when you crack those heads open, there wouldn't actually be the wheat kernel in there. And you'd have nothing. And you would have wasted all that time, and you would have harmed the plant, and you wouldn't have reaped what you sown because you didn't wait and you judged only by what your eyes saw rather than by what the Spirit of God was saying. That's where we have to judge not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Because if we look out sometimes, we'll look and we'll see and it looks like it's ready. It says when the crop permits, He puts the sickle in and immediately reaps. What does that mean? It means that He waits until the time is right. Not just when it looks good from the outside, but when we trust and we know that God has done everything on the inside that needs to be done, then it's time to harvest. Then it has value. Then when you go and you mill it down, you get what was supposed to be gotten inside of it. And if we're not careful, we'll jump on any of those stages. It takes patience, it takes trust, and it takes seeing with something besides the physical eye to know what's going on in people's lives and to prepare ourselves to be able to be there right when we need to be to bring forth what God wanted to bring forth in their lives. Don't jump early. Don't abandon it and walk away. Don't judge by the immediate result. Don't try to harvest too early. And do be ready when the, when the crop permits to do what God's called you to do. So we talked about all that stuff. Just a little recapping. We talked about just this this thing of, you know, sometimes some things are just for the old, sometimes things are just for the old and when Jesus was here. But this is one of those things that God said, as long as the earth exists, this will be in place. And so we talked about the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. We talked about the New Covenant. Where, I mean, the, while Jesus was here, when He talked about the parable of sowing and reaping with the farmer. Now I want to move into, if we can, um, the, the, the New Covenant teaching on it. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 6. Is anybody else hot? Well, well, why don't you guys do something? Jeez. Listen, I, if you're hot, I'm hot. I promise you. Because I have lights on me and I'm hot in nature anyway. So this is permission for the rest of the time that you come here. If you're hot, come adjust the air conditioning and get it rolling. I got it at 69, I think, or 71, something like that. It don't matter, whatever. It's good. It's crazy how much you guys heat it up in praise and worship. I'm serious, because it was like 64 before we started, and now it's 73. Um, so Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's alive. God, I thank You that it's sharp, that it cuts, that it separates. God, I pray that today as I speak that it would be from Your heart to my mouth, God. That, it, that we would hear from You today, Father, as we, as we go into Your Word and we hear what You have to say. 
that our ears would be open to hear, and that our minds, that we have the mind of Christ, that we would be able to understand what You're saying, and that our hearts would be good soil, that the seed of Your Word, God, would get into all the good soil of our hearts and produce fruit, that a world that does not know You, Father, that is dying to know You, would taste the fruit of my life and see that You're good. That the world would taste the fruit of our lives as the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. That the world would taste it and see that You're good. And that Your kindness would lead them to repentance. We thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. Um, so here's Paul now reinforcing this thing that God started in the beginning that Jesus used to teach um, uh, with and Paul's saying and letting us know that hey, in the new covenant, you are born again. You are a new creation in Christ. Everything has passed away. All things have become new. That's all true. But this principle still remains of sowing and reaping. That what you do actually matters. Now, there is this thing, and I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works, but I believe it's something like this, where there is, there is this thing about when we become a new creation and all things pass away and everything becomes new, we can expect to live in a grace that says, I don't have to live under the curse of the actions before I was born again when I didn't know better now that I am born again. Now, that doesn't mean natural consequences immediately go away. You know, like if you're in jail, you get born again, the warden doesn't walk up and go, hey... Were you born again last night? All right, well, you're pardoned now. It could happen, right? But, but I'm not saying that will, that natural consequences will immediately go away. But I am saying that there's this thing that says that if I follow Him and He's my shepherd, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in His house forever. That I don't have to look behind me and be afraid that I'm going to reap what I sowed when I was ignorant of the truth and when I was living for myself and I was serving myself. So, and I think the principle can be backed up by going into Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. God's speaking to the children of, of Israel about when they come into the land of Canaan. He says, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. And this, this, this Old Testament picture of the people coming into Canaan, which was the promised land, the rest of God that He had promised, is a picture for us in the New Covenant as we come into Christ, into the place of resting in Christ and into the covenant that He died for us to have. And I think that there is this place where we can expect to reap the goodness that Jesus sown when we're in Him and we're following Him and we're actually living our lives in Him. That we could have sown chaos in our lives, but we become born again and we become a new creation and we act actually follow Him and we can expect to reap the good that He sown because we're in Him and our inheritance is His inheritance. That's what grace is. It's I get what I don't deserve. Mercy is I don't get what I do deserve. So there's mercy, but there's also grace, which is I get what I don't deserve. I get what He paid for at His expense. And so there is this principle, but I want to be careful when we talk about that to make sure that we understand that there's still a caveat in that. That the caveat for the, for the Old Covenant people was that you trust and you obey. He said, if you will trust Me and if you obey Me, then I will do this and I will do this. If you, then I. And His language is always, if you, then I. And sometimes in the New Covenant, we get this idea that nothing depends on us and that our personal actions don't have as much of an impact on us anymore because of the New Covenant. But there's still personal responsibility because in the New Covenant, Jesus writes letters to the churches and He uses the same language every time He's talking to them and He's rewarding or He's rebuking based on their actions and he says, because you, I will. Not because you, I would, but you're born again, so I won't. He says, because you, I have this thing against you. Because you have tolerated Jezebel, I'm going to do this. And not all the things that he said because you. Now, some of the cities, some of the churches when he wrote like to, um, I think it was Philadelphia, he said, I know that you've made your, 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 uh, built your church at the gate of Satan, and even though there's all that evil there, you have persevered, and I'm, because of that, I'm going to bless you. But then there was also some promises of things that were going to happen that weren't so nice. Because people had forgotten their first love. Because people had turned away. Because people had tolerated things that he didn't say to tolerate. That's in the New Covenant. That's New Testament. Those churches were New Covenant churches living in the New Covenant that he wrote the letters to that John brought back in the Revelation. 
There is personal responsibility. There still is this thing. Jesus said it. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I ask you to do? In other words, it's one thing to say, Lord, Lord. It's a whole other thing to actually, with my life, declare that He's Lord and live the way He called me to live. He said, this is He who loves me. He who keeps my commands, and my commands are not burdensome. In other words, you can't just say that I'm your Lord. You can't just say that you're born again a new creation and continue to live the way that you did before you were born again and expect to walk in the blessing of the new covenant. It doesn't work that way. It never has and it never will. Now, grace comes and covers, right? So when we, we do something, we step outside of that and we understand, but that's where there has to be repentance. That's where there has to be actually a changing in the way that we think and we abandon our thoughts and ways and we take His. And you know what happens immediately when you stop thinking the way that you were and you start thinking the way that He thinks, you begin to sow differently. And suddenly there's this change and we've positioned ourselves to receive the blessing. But you can, at any time that you want, step out from underneath that blessing by disobedience. He'll allow it. You notice when the prodigal son left the house, the father didn't chase him and make him come back. And just because he was a son didn't mean he didn't have to live with the pigs. But it was his choice. It wasn't his father's heart. And the minute he turned back and decided that he wanted to be back where his father was, that he wanted to step back into the blessing of following and being obedient to his father, immediately the father pursues him, overwhelms him, and brings him back into his place and restores him and gives him more than he had before. But it took personal responsibility of the child to understand where he was and to choose to be back where the father was and to change the way that he thought and to repent. And it was the kindness and goodness of the father that led him to repent. It was the fact that his servants lived a better life than he did that made him want to go back to where the father was. So, anyways, as we, as we talk, I got, I'm a little ahead of myself, but I don't want us to think that like there is no place for reaping the goodness of Jesus even if what we said... See, there's one thing that I used to think because it was something I heard, and that was this, that because of the life that I lived when I was in my parents' house and under their roof, I could expect my children to put me through at least as much or worse. And I was told that by people. Oh, you just wait. God's going to send you even worse for what you did to your parents. People said that to me. Has anyone else ever heard that before? You have. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Because the second you believe it and you start speaking that out of your mouth, suddenly you give it permission to appear in your children. Because what, what you do is you can, with the, with the tongue, things are put to life. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So you can bring things that are supposed to be dead to life and you can bring things that are supposed to be alive to death with the power of your tongue and what you speak. And we talked about this. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about generational curses, how people think that they have generational curses. They speak it out of their mouths. Right? And suddenly they start to experience what it is to live under a curse. Why? Because with their tongue, they brought something to life that was supposed to die on the cross with Jesus. Because it says, cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. How many of you guys were here for that? How many of you were, how many of you guys were not here a couple weeks ago and you, you have believed at some point in your life that you're under a generational curse? It's okay. No one's going to like be like, oh, you idiots. Anybody? Nobody's ever heard that you're under debt. Yeah, okay. It's okay. Yeah, there's a few people that are like, I, I don't know. We're not going to call you up and exercise any demons or anything, okay? <laughs> Relax. But there's this teaching that if we're not careful because of an old covenant pro, uh, principle that says that the sins of the father will be visited upon the children to the third and fourth generations that we've taught that there's generational curses and that we have to go back and those have to be broken over our lives and there's ministries that are dedicated to doing this. I'm not saying anything against those ministries other than this. There's a better way. And it's the cross. It's Jesus. It's understanding and believing what He said when He said, Call no earthly man your father, for you have one who is your father, and he's in heaven. The power of generational curses came from the sin of the father. When I understand that as a born-again believer, that I actually have a new bloodline, and that my father is one who is in heaven, and he is perfect. As for him, he is perfect. That he's not a man that he should sin. When I understand that, then I understand that there are no generational curses following me because of the sins of my father, because I have one who is my father, and he's in heaven. And the only way those things have any place in my life is when I open my mouth and agree with them and confess them forward and believe in them and I empower them and I give them place. That's why it says don't give the devil a foothold. He can't take it, but with your mouth you can actually give him place. And he will come in and wreak havoc. And then you'll need deliverance. And you'll need a curse broke that you brought upon yourself by believing a lie and not believing truth. 
See, I believed that. I believed I'm going to have kids that are going to go out and live wilder than I did because that's what I deserve, because that's what I sown, so I was going to reap that. I was told that. And for a while, I used to say that. Man, I, dude, if my kids are going to be worse than me, I, I, don't, I can't even imagine. Like literally, I couldn't even think of how my kids could even be worse than I was. But I was pretty sure that they would find a way because I was told that I was going to reap that. Listen, that is a complete lie. If you're born again, a new creation in Christ, all things have passed away and behold, everything has become new. And you're not going to reap disobedience from your children because of disobedience that you've sown. You're going to reap obedience from your children because of the obedience that He's sown because you're in Him. And the promises of God are coming after you, not the curses of your past. I promise you, goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life, not curses and, and, and sins. However, There is a place where our obedience and our following after Him keeps us in position to receive. Jesus declared it. They said, Jesus, your mothers and your brothers are outside. He said, who is my mother and who is my brother? It is He that does the will of my Father. He didn't say, it's He that prayed a prayer once. He said, my mother and my brother are those that are doing what? That are doing the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? That we would live our lives yielded and submitted to Him and walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. And in doing so, every single day, I position myself to be right where I need to be to receive all that He has for me. I can take a detour though if I choose to. See, that's where we have to understand this thing. And, and at some point, we have to come to grips with the whole thing of, of God's sovereignty, meaning that everything that, that happens is what He wanted to happen. Because we can't understand a lot of Scripture if we have that thing in us that says, well, everything that happens is God's will. That's not true. It's not. I can prove it to you with a few verses. It's Jesus on a hill weeping over the children of Israel. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, on a hill, weeping, saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to gather you under my, hen, my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. I wanted this. It was my will to gather you under my wings. This is Jesus. These are in red letters in your Bible. I willed to do this, but you wouldn't let me. It says that He's able to work all things for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. That doesn't mean that everything that happens was His plan. It doesn't mean that everything that happens was what He wanted. And it doesn't mean that everything that happens was going to happen no matter what. We have to be able to separate His knowledge from His will. See, well, God knew this was going to happen. That is totally true because He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He is outside of time and He sees everything. So He sees the choice you make and the consequence before you're even born. He sees everything. He knows everything. Yet... He says to you, I place before you this day a choice. Life and death. Blessing, cursing. Choose life. So what He wanted was for you to choose life. What He saw was them choosing death. And we have to separate the fact that what He wants and what He knows can be two totally different things. Because He's given us a will and he's, He has actually said that He would let us make the choice. So in the garden, He says to them, don't eat the fruit. What is the will of God for Adam and Eve in the garden when it comes to that fruit? Period. Unless he's a schizophrenic that says one thing and means another, which the Bible makes sure and tells us he's not. He's not a man that he should lie. There's no shadow or turning in him. So for the rest of eternity, for as long as they're alive, the will of God is spelled out for them. Do not eat the fruit. Did he know they were going to eat the fruit when he told them not to? Absolutely. Because his knowledge... And His will are two totally separate matters. He communicated His will even though in His foreknowledge He knew that they would violate it. He also knew that He would do something to redeem what they had done. 
and that he would bring about a savior because in the same instance that he tells them the consequence of their choices, he tells them, and even still, I'm going to bring forth one, the seed of a woman, and you will bruise his head, or bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And he talks about a plan of redemption from the beginning. So, so anyways, I just, I wanted to say that because I think a lot of what we're talking about today doesn't make sense if we believe that everything that's happening is because God wants it to. God has very clearly spelled out in His Word what He wants and what He desires for humanity. He's also very clearly given us the ability to choose. And very clearly, some people violate it. Does that mean that they're going to go to hell if they did what was wrong? No. Every single one of us has done something that opposes the will of God in our lives. Most of us knowingly. At some point in our lives. That's what grace is for. But it's not an excuse to continue to do it. It's the power to be changed so that we don't continue to do it. It's the forgiveness for what we have done and the ability to keep from doing it again. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. Why? Grace had come. It had forgiven her for what she had done in the past and it empowered her to go forward and live differently in the future. That's grace. All right. Okay, so Proverbs 13.2 says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good, but the desire of the treacherous is violence. In the Old Covenant, a lot of the teaching is what I sow, I reap, and it's focused on me. That, that if I sow good, if I speak good, if the things that I do are good, then I will reap a blessing, I will reap a benefit, I will reap good. And that principle stays in place forever. But I want you to turn in your Bibles real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And I want to show you just real quickly how the, and I'm going to try to, Oh, it's 12.21 already. You guys okay? Yeah? I'm going to keep talking anyways, but I'm just wondering if it's all right. If you, if you get done before I do, just leave quietly out the back and we'll all know that you don't care about hearing God's Word. <laughs> totally kidding. You can laugh in church. It's okay. You have permission. Don't restrict yourself from anything on earth that we'll have in heaven. If you think that you're going to live a joyful life in heaven, you probably should start living a joyful life here on earth. If you think that you're going to sing and dance like it talks about in heaven, you should probably sing and dance here on earth. Yeah. It'd be a shame to live one way in our, on earth and get to heaven and find there was a totally different way of living that was, able, that was, that was uh, uh, available to us the whole time we were here on earth and we restricted ourselves because we wanted to be reverent or because we thought that being reverent meant to repress the emotions that we feel inside when we actually encounter a living God. You're not going to bite your lip and stand there stoically when you are looking into His face in heaven. Why would you try to do it here? There's a place, I'm, I'm not saying that you know, there's not a place for just reverently standing before Him quietly. I do that sometimes. I get so overwhelmed with His vastness and His greatness that I can't even speak. I believe that'll happen in heaven, but I also believe there will be celebrating and there will be singing and there will be dancing. And it's, listen, the prayer of the prodigal son explains a lot. It was the father's house, and while they were yet a great way off, they heard music and dancing coming from inside. Who's the father in the, in the story of the prodigal son? God. Whose house were they dancing and singing in? God's. It wasn't a sin then. It's probably not a sin now. All right. So in Ephesians 4.29, Paul's speaking. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You see the shift in the old and the new? Like, in other words, there's a greater purpose in letting nothing but, but good stuff come from your mouth. And in the old covenant, it's, you know, let, that you're going to eat the fruit of your mouth and you're going to eat in the goodness that you bring forth and out of your belly rivers a blessing and, and, and all that stuff flows. And that's all true. But in the new covenant, it, there's a different focus. Because all that stuff is still true. You're still going to reap what you sow. You're still going to live in the blessing that comes from actually having good come from your mouth. And still out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And all that stuff's true. But in this, the focus goes from you and what you receive to others. He says, let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what is useful or helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. 
In the Old Covenant, it's don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth because whatever comes out of your mouth, that's the fruit that you're going to live in and you're going to have to eat. That's still true in the New Covenant. But in the New Covenant, it's changed. And it's not that I'm doing this because I'm concerned for me. I'm doing this out of concern for others because my life is no longer about me because the first thing Jesus told me to do was if I want to come after Him, deny myself. So now it's I don't let anything come out of my mouth because I don't want to reap what's bad. We've moved so far beyond that to a place now where I don't want anything unwholesome to come out of my mouth because I only want things that are good to build up others and to help them to come out of my mouth. Because my life's no longer about me. I'm going to live in the blessing of obedience. I'm going to reap the good that I've sown. That's all true. But that's not my focus. My focus has turned from that to other people. And is what's coming out of my mouth not only wholesome so that what I reap is good, is it wholesome so that what they reap is good? And the focus is other people now. That's why Jesus said, listen, if you want to know all the law summed up in one, it's this, love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, your attention goes from you to Him and other people. And my attention in the new covenant is now I'm on, my attention is turned to other people. So I want to make sure that what comes from my mouth is good, just like I did in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, it's because I want to see you blessed and you be prospered and you be built up and you be edified and you be encouraged and you be corrected and you walk in truth because I love you more than I love me. So my first concern is you and not me. All the while knowing that there's a promise that I'm going to reap what I sowed. It's like giving. There's this principle, given it shall be given unto you. But I'm not giving to get. That principle's there. And the, 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 the tricky thing is for Christians is if we're not careful, we will serve a principle rather than the prince. And so our, our, our focus on giving will be what I'm getting rather than my focus on giving being because I know that I've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. Yes, I know that there's a promise that if I give it will be given unto me. But that's not my motivation because my heart has changed and I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for other people. So I'm giving so that others can be blessed all the while positioning myself to be blessed by Him in the process. It's only, the only difference is, is what's my heart set upon. So if I seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto me. What's my focus? Is it the fact that I can have Him and His righteousness? Or is it all these things? That's a good check of our hearts. What part of that verse excites me the most? The fact that I can have Him and the righteousness that Jesus died for? Or the fact that there's a promise that all these other things will be added to me? Jesus thought that His kingdom and His righteousness were the most important because that was what He mentioned first. He didn't even mention the other stuff by name. He said, and all that other stuff. Why? Because if I have Him and I know who I am and I'm in right standing with Him, I don't even care about all that stuff. It'll be added to me. It'll be a great addition to my life, but it's not the focus of my life because I wake up every morning so excited about the life that I get to live in Him and who He's made me to be and who I am in Christ that I don't even worry about the other stuff. And then I look around and I realize, wow, I have more blessing than I could even handle because He's poured it out into my life. Who can be blessed because I'm blessed? That's what giving and receiving is all about. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Because there's multiplication promised on giving. And because if I am in a position to give, it means I've already received because I have something to give. So it's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Well, part of it is because if I'm giving, it means that I'm walking in obedience and faithfulness to Him. And the path of blessing in my life always leads, it always comes through blessing, I mean, obedience and faithfulness. So Paul is trying to, trying to tell us this, and he says, listen, in the New Covenant, he says, if you reap to the flesh, you'll sow corruption from the flesh. If you reap to the Spirit, you'll sow from, if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap from the Spirit life. What's he saying? Flesh is another way, and when you see that in there, you can think of self. If I'm sowing and all I'm sowing in is to myself, and I'm living my life selfishly, and everything that I do is for me, I'm going to reap from that selfishness. I'm going to reap from that a harvest that only I can create. If I sow into the Spirit, if I'm being led by Him and what I'm giving, if I'm, if I'm sowing into Him and I'm sowing into the Spirit, I'm spending time with Him and I'm, I'm, I'm receiving from Him and what I have I give, then from that it will continue to reproduce itself and, I'll get, and I will reap life. What will come from it will be life. So here's the thing. Um, uh, in Matthew 25.14, I'm just going to close up with this. Oh man, I feel like I'm trying to get three messages into one here. That's the problem, right, Matt? Like you get up here and there's this, like so much in your heart, you're worried about trying to get it all out, and <laughs> and you're trying to figure out which one you're supposed to go with. Um, you know what? Maybe I should save that for next week. 
because there's so much there. I don't want to rush over it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. Okay, so I'm just going to go back and, 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 and just finish up with this. Paul talks about sowing and reaping, and, and in that same place, he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. A good question to ask ourselves whenever we see a promise like that or we see a command like that, don't grow weary in well-doing, is is this necessary, this encouragement that I'm receiving? Like when Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. I encourage myself with that verse a lot. But I also ask myself, do I even need that encouragement? Because if Jesus spoke it, then He thought there was a chance that if I lived my life the way He called me to live it, that I would need that encouragement at some time. And if everybody everywhere is speaking well of me, if nobody ever has a problem with anything I say, then it might be the, the truth might be that I'm saying what people want to hear rather than what they need to hear. He said this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. In other words, the people who would speak peace, peace when there was no peace. So here's an encouragement. He says, don't grow weary in well-doing. What am I pouring my life into? What am I sowing into that there's a chance that I could give up on it and say it wasn't worth it and grow weary and cut short? What am I actually pouring my life into that I don't see any fruit, I don't see any results immediately, but I know that He's called me to pour into? Why would Paul write this to me? And would he? If he was writing a letter just to me, would he need to include that line? Would he need to say, Roy, don't grow weary. I see you sowing. I promise you, if you continue to sow, you'll reap. If you don't grow weary in well-doing, you will in time reap a harvest. Keep going. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. What would he need to write that to me? Or are the only things that I give my life to the things that are pleasurable in the moment that I see immediate results from and that are fun to do for me? Is there anything in my life that Paul would look at and say, that's doing well. Keep sowing. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Because I think in this microwave generation, a lot of times we think if we are sowing into something, what we're supposed to, we will immediately see a harvest. We'll immediately see fruit. We'll immediately see good results. And there isn't really any danger of us growing weary because we're instantly seeing what we're doing. But what is there in my life that I have to actually take that encouragement and that keeps me going forward and I say, I'm going to keep going. It's worth it. I promise. And one day you will reap if you don't grow weary. In time, you'll reap a harvest. What would he write that to me about? Or could he leave that line out and my life would be the same? What is there that I'm giving myself to that if I looked with just my eyes, that if I didn't believe, that I would give up on and walk away from. Someone else may reap the harvest, but it wouldn't be me. What are the things in my life that if I'm not careful, I'll judge as not being worth it because I don't see what I thought I would see right away. And there's not a return on my investment right away. What about the times when I don't get a car two and a half hours later? What about when I'm like a buddy of mine who gave his away and for three months had to struggle with only having one vehicle and the enemy constantly saying, you just gave that away because you wanted to. Three months later, he got three vehicles. It's another story for another time, but it's true. What is it? I just want to close up with that. Just ask us, like, if this is true and this is a New Testament reality and, and Paul said God's not mocked. In other words, what He said will happen. And he said if you sow to the, to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life. And then He says, and don't grow weary in well-doing. Sowing is considered well-doing. What is it that I'm sowing into that Paul would come up beside me, put his arm around me and say, don't grow weary? Don't get frustrated. Don't give up on it. 
Even if you don't know how, trust that there's more going on underneath the surface than what you can see in this moment. Maybe just take a second, right? Because sometimes we hear messages and then we leave and we don't really consider. So maybe why don't we just take a second and just ask God. God, what is it in my life that you would need to encourage me about? God, what is it that you would need to tell me? Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Trust me. You're going to reap if you just continue to be faithful. And if there's nothing, then I would say that there's probably something God's trying to show you. Because the verse isn't in the Bible just to make it one sentence longer. It's because He really thought that if we were following after Him in time, we would need encouragement to keep going. God, I just thank You that that we have Your promise, God, that that what we give away will reproduce itself. God, we've, we've talked a lot about physical things, God, but even more than that, the grace that we receive from You, God. The mercy that we've received from You. God, that we would be good stewards with all of that. And we would be faithful, God, to give away all that You've given us to other people, trusting that as we sow that seed, it will reproduce fruit. both in their lives and in ours. God, and that as somebody else reaps the reward of our obedience, that a whole other sower is brought into the cycle and now they have something to give. And that Your kingdom just continues to multiply. God, I just pray that if we've ever believed any of the lies that say that, 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 that there's nothing that we can do, God, that we're just on this earth and roaming around like puppets and You're in heaven controlling everything that happens, God, that we would repent and that we would begin to take personal responsibility for our actions. That we would continue to seek, knock, and ask so that we would continue to find, have it opened, and receive all that You have. In Jesus' name, Amen.